This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I told you last week that we're meditating on these wonderful readings in the Easter season, these accounts in the Gospel of the risen Jesus. And even though every passage in the Bible is worthy of this kind of very careful analysis, I think especially these passages are worthy of our very prayerful attention. Last week we studied that wonderful passage from John's Gospel, the risen Jesus appears to the disciples. This week we have a section from the 24th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Can I urge you during this Easter season, maybe this very day, sit down and read Luke chapter 24. It includes the great story of the road to Emmaus, but it's a masterpiece within the masterpiece. Luke's whole gospel is beautifully crafted from a literary and theological standpoint, but this chapter is a kind of capstone of the edifice of Luke's gospel. So let's look at it now very carefully. Here's how it begins. The two disciples recounted what had taken place on the way and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. These are the two disciples now who appeared, to whom Jesus appeared on the road to Emmaus. They were going the wrong way. They saw the risen Christ. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And then they hurried back to Jerusalem. They were sent. They had their mission. They knew where to go. So they come back to the cenacle and they see the other 11 disciples. And they begin to tell them this story. Then we hear, While they were still speaking about this, he stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I want you to get this picture in your minds now. Jesus stood in their midst. Think of Jesus now in the center of the circle and the disciples now arrayed around him. This is a kind of image of the church. Remember I said before, the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to gather the tribes of Israel, to form the new Israel, which would then in turn gather the tribes of the world. Well, here you see it. Jesus in the middle, his disciples circled around him. And he says to them that characteristic line I talked about last week, peace be with you. Where does peace come from? It comes from gathering your life around Jesus Christ. The trouble is, we look for peace in all the wrong places. We look for peace in sex and pleasure and money and power and privilege and esteem. It won't come from those sources. All those are fleeting and finite. All those are threatened. All those are passing. True peace, shalom, and that was the goal of the biblical Israelite, was to find God's shalom. It comes 
from being gathered around Jesus Christ, the church becomes the bearer of peace to the world. That, I think, is the meaning of this, of this image, Jesus standing in their midst. Then we hear this. But they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. The fear of the disciples. Oh, we can read it at many levels. On the one hand, are they afraid? Because this sounds like the oldest ghost story in the world. They had abandoned him. They had betrayed him, denied him, run from him in the hour of need. And now he's back, undoubtedly seeking vengeance. They're terrified because the risen Jesus might be a source of retribution. What does he say, though, to them? Shalom. Shalom. You committed the greatest sin. That's true. You abandoned the Son of God in his hour of need. That's true. But the answer from God is shalom. Not violence. Not retribution. Not hatred. Not answering violence. But forgiveness. Compassion. Shalom. In that, the Christian faith is born. In that, the church is formed. We are that collectivity of forgiven sinners. We church people never claim for a second that we're not sinners, but we do claim that we are forgiven sinners. Even the greatest possible sin, putting to death the Son of God, is met with the forgiveness of the Son of God. And that's where our peace comes from. We are gathered around the forgiving Christ as forgiven sinners. There is, though, I think, another reason for the fear of the disciples, why they are startled. Nobody expected this. Jews of Jesus' time, they had a lot of ways of talking about what happened to people after they died. Some thought the dead went to Sheol, a kind of shadowy underworld, a bit like the Elysian fields that the Greeks and Romans talk about. Kind of a sad, shadowy, dark place. Remember we hear in the Old Testament that the shade, the ghost of Samuel, is called forth from the underworld by Saul. So they knew about that. Some Jews of Jesus' time thought the dead could be reincarnated. Remember when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets come back from the dead. Some Jews of Jesus' time had a more Hellenistic idea, a Greek, Platonic idea, that at death the soul of the dead person left the body and went to be with God. We hear in the Book of Wisdom, The souls of the just are in the hand of God and no torment shall touch them. They had a lot of understandings of what might happen to someone after death. But they were not expecting this. Namely, that someone who had died would return in a transformed and transfigured but still objective and physical body to this world. 
that would indeed startle them, shock them, surprise them. Listen now what Jesus says. Why do questions arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Christians, we find this up and down the gospel accounts. They insist upon the objectivity and physicality of the risen Christ. There isn't one little ounce of Platonism in these accounts. What I mean is there's no sense of a soul having escaped from a body and going to be with God. No, no. Jesus returns from the dead. Yes, transfigured. Yes, transformed. Not simply resuscitated. But nevertheless, in his body, with his flesh and bones. Root this in a biblical imagination. God made the world, yes, a spiritual creation, but this physical creation, nature and all of its abundance, the cosmos and all of its splendor, our bodies and all their majesty and wonder. Does God simply turn his back on all of this? Was that a waste of God's time? He couldn't wait just to extricate spirits from that realm? Well, lots of people in the ancient world thought so, but the Bible doesn't think so. The Bible portrays God as saying, everything I've made is good. Indeed, the ensemble of it is very good. How wonderful here then, that at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his body is involved. We say in the Apostles' Creed that we look for the resurrection of the body, don't we? Bodies matter for us Christians. We don't leave them behind. But rather, the whole of ourselves is involved in God's salvific plan. I think they were startled and surprised because they weren't expecting this. But now we, gathered round the risen Jesus, we see God's salvific intention for the whole of us. Body, soul, mind. Now, I love what comes next. It's a beautiful symbolic reversal. It says, While they were still incredulous for joy and were amazed, he asked them, Have you anything here to eat? (laughs) There's something wonderful about that, isn't there? Here they are at the climax of the biblical revelation. They're standing in the presence of the risen Jesus. They're overwhelmed with sheer wonder and joy. And his question is, You got something here to eat? What's happening? Symbolically, our trouble began with a bad meal, didn't it? Adam and Eve grasp at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They grasp at what was forbidden to them. They want to become like God. They want to set the agenda for their own lives. They want to seize at godliness. It all began with a bad meal. What God wants to give to us as a grace, they wanted to seize as a prerogative. And that's where the trouble began. Now, look. The risen Jesus reverses this momentum. Do you have anything here to eat? 
He's now inviting them into the rightly ordered meal. He's inviting them not to grasp, but to be generous. He's inviting them not to seize, but to give. And in that, he invites them into the loop of grace. God gives and we give back. God pours out his grace and we return the favor. In that loop of grace, we find peace and joy. How often, by the way, Jesus sits down after his resurrection and eats with the disciples. That is the eschatological banquet. That's the fulfillment of our hope in heaven. That the momentum of Eden might be reversed and we'd be invited into this properly ordered meal. Listen now what he says. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The fulfillment of the Psalms, the prophets, the Torah, that's what the first Christians saw in Jesus. Indeed, he said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The story of Israel was like an unfinished symphony. It was like a novel without a climax. It was unfinished, incomplete. The longing of Israel is now fulfilled in Jesus, who gathers the tribes, who creates the church, who gives peace who reverses the momentum of Eden. Jesus now is the capstone to the building. Jesus now is the completion of the story. Our job now is to announce that message to the world. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.